Innovation on the Edge with Microsoft Edge is a weekly podcast that explores the cutting edge of internet innovation and pop culture trends. Each week, we'll dig into how people are currently using the web to innovate, notable ways in which it's evolving, what its future might look like, and how we can create the future together. Welcome, curious creators, disruptors, and innovators to Innovation on the Edge. This is theater in 2021. Live stream performances, audio dramas, plays written for live streams, the days of sitting shoulder to shoulder in a crowded theater and giving a standing ovation during a curtain call seem like a distant memory, but not lost forever. In fact, theaters are starting to open back up, but there's no doubt the internet has revived the ancient art form and maybe even saved it during this time of crisis. I'm Chelsea Briggs, and today on the show, we dig deeper into this topic with Stephanie Ubarra. Stephanie is the artistic director at the Baltimore Center Stage. She took the role in 2018 after serving seven years as director of special artistic projects for the Public Theater in New York. Her career in theater spans over two decades. She's on the faculty at Juilliard and holds an MFA for the Yale School of Drama. She's a theater boss through and through, and I'm so excited to welcome her to the show. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. It's so great to be here. Um, I'm so excited to pick your brain. You've had such an impressive career in theater, a career spanning over two decades, which is insane. And I have to say, I'm a little bit envious because I was a theater kid growing up and um, I was never a great actress by any means, but my best memories come from being in that community. And looking back, I kind of would have stayed in that world probably forever. And you did. So did you always want to be, did you always want to have a career in theater? You know, I started as an actor as well, and I was not very good at it. I literally couldn't imagine doing anything else. So I sort of poked around at what else the business had to offer and found myself uh, as a producer. And that suits me great. But I I think, you know, they say that theater chooses you. Mm. I don't know if that's actually true, but it feels like maybe a little too convenient to say that, but that's what it feels like for me. It's home for me. I love that. Kind of in short, because I know it's a long story, but how did you get to where you are today? Well, like I said, I started as an actor. I studied acting in undergrad um, in Texas. I was acting at night, but my day jobs were actually in the administrative side of theater, in marketing, in fundraising, in operations. And pretty quickly, I found my way, um, like mostly into the admin side because I enjoyed it so much. I found myself having to choose between mm-hmm. being an artist and being an administrator. And I just frankly didn't want to choose. So I went and I got my master's degree from Yale in theater management and started to blend the management skills with my artistic skills. And that's how I sort of came to be an artistic producer. Um, and fortunately, the folks in New York, first at the Playwrights Realm and then at the Public Theater, they nurtured that part of me. So by the time Baltimore Center Stage came knocking on my door to say, will you be the next artistic director? Uh, It was a wholehearted yes. It's been such an interesting last year. What was it like for someone like you, Stephanie Ubarra, who's running an entire theater in Baltimore during the pandemic, uh, where you had so much weight on your shoulders, I'm sure, people's careers, the future of the theater. So I'm just curious, like, take us back to the beginning of the pandemic. Like, where was your head at when all this was going on? (laughs) <laughs> you want to um, go back there or do you, <laughs> you're like, I don't, I would rather not. <laughs> well, 
what's bananas is that the beginning of the pandemic was the tail end of my very first season as an artistic director at Baltimore Center Stage. So I didn't get to finish my first season. I, I had to close the theater right before we, we went in, we were to go into our final two productions. And since then, I feel like I've been playing catch up and hurry up and wait and um, and just sort of trying to build a foundation uh, for the future on quicksand. And you're totally right. I really appreciate you sort of bringing into the conversation the amount of, I mean, stress, responsibility, I think, um, for people's livelihoods and just um, the idea of keeping as many people employed as possible really weighed heavy on me and um, in the entire staff of Baltimore Center Stage. But that said, I feel like the opportunities to reflect on where we've been and dream about where we're going, that part has been a balm and a gift. I'm going to hold on to that for as long as I can. Absolutely. I mean, even so going into that, it's like you guys had to figure out a new way of doing theater. Would you say your team pivoted pretty quickly or was it slow? Uh, they were they turned on a dime. I, I, I have been I've had very little to do with hiring um, the majority of the team at Baltimore Center Stage. I was really lucky to walk into an organization where um, the culture and the skill set was such that people could really, you know, they're, they're sort of always on the balls of their feet, always ready to dance. So we we pivoted pretty quickly after the initial shock of like, oh, my God, this is happening. Yeah. There was that moment. And then we were like, okay, we had to relearn how to do everything that we all think we know how to do all, you know, we've been doing this for decades Mm. and we had to relearn all of it. I come from like the digital production side of things and then also have a little experience in theater, but those are two different worlds. It's almost like theaters had to become media companies. So how did that process of sort of teaching? Did you help each other? Did you have people come in and teach you? What was that process like? I mean, not all theaters were in a sort of skill set deficit there. There are lots of theaters, and I'm thinking of one in particular in Virginia, the Signature Theater in Virginia. They've been investing in um, digital uh, production and technology for years. And so this, this moment actually was a great moment for them to shine. And I've been sort of watching um, <laughs> from, from Baltimore in awe um, of, of what they've been able to accomplish. But what's been beautiful is that, you know, as certainly my sort of cohort of new artistic directors where we all were in our first season, all got shut down. Um, we were helping each other left, right, and center. What are you doing? What are you doing? Who are you working with? What, you know, what is working for you? What are you thinking about trying? Those are the ways that we were sort of feeding each other. Um, and yeah, we learned how to make movies. We learned how to translate our, um, our live art into digital art and, Frankly, there are plenty of artists who have been doing this for a long time. And so institutions who are catching up. I love that you said that you guys all helped each other. So would you say the the theater communities all came together, really band together during this time? Because that's so beautiful. For sure. And it was really, I don't know why I'm 
surprised by it. I shouldn't be. Theater is an incredibly collaborative um, art form, but we're also incredibly isolated from each other. You know, uh, that it can be really alienating, um, especially when you get outside of New York or if you're if you're not in a sort of major market like New York or Chicago or L.A., um, it can be a little bit lonely. And so I found myself, I mean, still I'm in um, one to two roundtable discussions with theater leaders across the country every single week. And so this sort of um, abundance of our brain trust, that's still going, we're still tapping that. And it's awesome. I can't imagine working a different way now. Well, what would you say was like the moment when you realized that there was an audience for your virtual ventures? Because you probably, maybe you didn't know at first. You were kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. Or like, was there a specific moment where people just showed up for you? About this time last year, me and a few of my colleagues launched a national initiative called Play at Home. So it was Baltimore Center Stage, Woolly Mammoth in DC, St. Louis Repertory Theater, Long Wharf Theater in New Haven, Connecticut, and the Public Theater in New York. We got together and we started doing um, little baby commissions, um, paying playwrights to write plays that would be free and available to folks to perform in their living rooms. Not exactly digital production, but the extent to which we were sort of um, using the digital platform to basically crowdsource place and then and then um, release them to the public for free became a huge, huge success. And you said that was before the pandemic. No, it was right. It was right after the, okay. we all got shut down. So we were sort of looking for the ways to <laughs> reach people online and still find a way to activate theater in like live theater in people's homes, bathrooms. And, uh, and that was the moment where I was like, Oh, this is going to work. We're going to. That's so encouraging that it was so early on. Cause like, you know, you could have just been kind of trying a bunch of things and nothing, not really knowing, but that's what a great thing to have in the beginning, an example then to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice. I think um, I love, I wanted, I wanted to know if, because obviously now you're putting your, um, your art, shall I say, on all these different digital platforms, do you feel like you've brought in a new audience? Yeah, for sure. That too. Um, It's been really incredible. Like Baltimore is, Baltimore shows up for Baltimore. So locally in in real life, um, you know, we host um, thousands and thousands of people um, from the Baltimore area and all over Maryland. But now... We've got audiences from all over the country and the world um, engaging with the stories that our artists are telling. And it, it, there's this beautiful ripple effect, too, because it's not just audiences in California or South Carolina who are showing up on our, um, our buy site, but it's also the press. Like It, it, it feels like there is just um, this beautiful wave or ripple of like now you know, press beyond just the Baltimore press have a reason to engage with our content. So it's really been a win, 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 win. It's cool because you you don't realize like us living in big cities where there's access to live shows. It's kind of a reminder that like not everywhere over the world, around the world, people have the ability to go see live shows. So I think that that's so cool too, that you're bringing people this artwork they can just watch in their living room. That's right. The one thing that I'm really proud of that our education team um, uh, launched 
right around this time last year, like in response to the pandemic, because we normally do student matinees. We bring kids from um, from the surrounding area into to see our shows and lots of theaters do that. But one of the things that came up um, over the course of the pandemic, as we were putting together our digital content, we thought, you know what, we can actually do a virtual student matinee. So we actually now have created a virtual student matinee library with our shows and other sort of digital um, projects along with school curricula. So now students from all over Maryland have been able to take advantage of the shows that we're doing. That's so special. I read a, um, a recent study that said they found that 43% of the digital audience um, had never attended an in-person performance at the company that they bought an online ticket for. Like that's huge for theater. Mm-hmm. That's got to be really awesome to hear. It really is. I mean, now the trick is how do you stay engaged or do you stay engaged? Is it sort of like you, you know, let people uh, do as they will and, and engage with you every once in a while really passively, or do we really try to lean into those digital uh, new digital connections and and maintain it over the long haul. So that's, I think, the next question on our minds. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think your theater will invest in that side of it? Because it's like you have this audience now. It's almost like you kind of, you can't ignore them. They want to be engaged. Yeah, I think we have to. I think that, you know, I feel like live theater is always going to be here. It's been It's been here for thousands and thousands of years. It's not going anywhere. Live storytelling is here to stay. And I think digital storytelling is here to stay too. Or if we're able to stream um, live performing arts, you know, I think there are things, The obvi- obviously like the biggest, most um, sophisticated examples of that might be Hamilton or uh, what the constitution means to me that was streaming on Hulu. And then uh, before, I think NBC was doing this stuff. They were doing, they've done countless musicals live to, to tape. And so I think that this is just an evolution of that, um, of that manifestation of the art form. So we're going to, we're going to stay in the game. I think, I think we have to. Definitely. I think it's cool because it's like, I feel like it's the golden age for creative people because we have to figure out ways to express ourselves in different in different ways. And um, I'm curious from your theater specifically, what's like the most creative way that you guys did that? you know, I'm seeing that there's audio dramas, Twitch live streams, like what, what's kind of the most creative thing you guys have done? I think it has to be truly, it's the virtual student matinee library. That feels to me um, revolutionary. I haven't seen anything like it ever. Um, the fact that it is free for any educator, um, K through 12 educator in the world, um, feels like a light bulb. Uh, it's not just a light bulb. It's like one of those surges that pops the light bulb and, ex- uh, and you know, it explodes. So that to me has been the most revelatory um, innovation that I think has, has staying power um, for years and years to come. Do you think also, because I think during this time, um, we're kind of brought back to the basics of theater, right? An actor and their words and telling their story. Do you think moving forward, you know, we don't have these big sets and maybe there's some makeup, but they're doing, doing their makeup at home or they're making their costumes. Do you see it sort of scaling back a little bit, you know, moving forward? Yes. I, you know, that actually, that sort of minimalist kind of approach has, is, is my favorite kind of theater to begin with, like uh, regardless of um, the sort of 
pandemic uh, cause and effect here. And I think that we were already kind of headed in that direction. Again, you know, the, the, even the shows that you see on Broadway, so many of them, they may not, might not be one or two actors, but their sets are certainly pared down to uh, the, the essentials, just enough to activate the audience's imagination. And I am here for that all day long because give me a really great story and a really great storytellers. Um, and then my imagination starts to just run away. And that's my favorite, favorite thing about theater. Uh, when I first asked you in the beginning of this, I'm like, go back to the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know, you're kind of like, oh, I mean, it's a lot for all of us to think about that. But now, like, um, do you think when you really think about it, looking back, would your, would your theater evolved in this way if it weren't for the pandemic? Nope. I mean, some of it, I feel like I would like to believe we would have gotten here. Um, but no, I think we were forced to re-examine and evaluate and evolve and iterate in ways that we have never been asked to before. And I think to the extent that we were sort of, you know, those of us who were maybe dabbling in digital production or dabbling in, in transmedia, I think this the the pandemic was like a it was like a huge accelerant and i don't think that theater is alone in the, in that i but it feels like we fast forwarded 10 years in like six seven months as like i'm curious because as someone who also you manage the budget with it not being you know obviously you can't do live shows but did you guys do better than you thought you did during the pandemic? Yeah, I'll, I'll be really transparent with you. They, you know, the the ticket sales, the sort of normal way that a theater um, supports itself, a nonprofit theater, um, is either by ticket sales or by donations, right? And when our ticket sales, when our inventory, our ability to sell um, was just gone, and we couldn't, you know, for a long time, we couldn't get in the theater to do anything, not even to film um, because of safety protocols and what have you. So we were really reg uh, relegated to just what we could do completely virtually. And as we were able to slowly start com coming back to our buildings in a really small way, we were able to realize a small amount of earned um, uh, revenue or for, through ticket sales. But the vast majority of our income has been from donations wow. still. And importantly, so importantly, um, I feel like the, <laughs> the government, the government really showed up in, in, in some beautiful ways. So being able to get sort of one-time <laughs> relief grants, mm -hmm. that's been the thing that's been able to sustain us. That's so, I mean, to have that community support has to feel great. It really does. When do you anticipate opening your doors and, and doing live shows? Do you have dates yet? We're working on more dates right now. So um, at the moment, our doors are open for youth camp, for summer camp. And at the, like tonight, uh, we are doing live studio performances of our current play, The Garden by Charlene Woodard. It's awesome. Yeah, so we actually have been able to have like very small audiences, everybody, but the performers are masked. Um, so that's this little experiment. And I think by um, September, we're going to announce some stuff okay. to be able to have pub the public back in our building by September. Which you know will be here before you know it. You know, these months are going by really fast these days. Five minutes away, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, I wanted to ask you, because in November 2020, you gave a TED Talk on vulnerability, which I thought was super powerful. Um, And you said this, you said, we must make ourselves vulnerable to increase our imagination and creativity for the future of the American theater. And I would love to just hear you speak on that a little bit more. Really lovely reminder. (laughs) You know, I, I think a lot about the ways we're conditioned to um, to sort of put our head down, do our work, to uh, compete, to produce. Um, and I think more and more, um, I, I'll speak for myself, I find myself sort of running on this hamster wheel and the moments where I want to let my, my imagination run free, I find myself inhibited by fear of failure, fear of being judged, fear of conflict, you know, the fears are just endless. And the more I find that I show up for myself and for others with a kind of open heart and open mind, which means standing there um, really vulnerable, I think the ideas get better the communication is more authentic um, and the relationships are more sort of uh, are more sophisticated. They're deeper and more meaningful. And it, for me, has allowed me to start to really see more clearly all of the ways that theater can be um, contributing to our communities more meaningfully. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think I even have seen on social media, um, in the last year, people really just like putting their hearts out there. And it's been so inspiring. And there's been times when I'm like, oh, maybe I want to like put a post up and like, you know, talk about something I'm going through and being nervous to do it and having friends encourage me and then I do it. And then you get all these people being like, I can relate. And I think that we live in such a world right now where your biggest strength is your vulnerability. The minute you can humanize yourself and like lift each other up, it's so powerful. Amen. And I think that, you know, particularly when we're talking about um, the arts, the stories we tell, whether they're in a live theater or they're through music or it's on television or it's in film, all of those things are designed to investigate, expose, explore the human condition. And the more we are building empathy with each other and for each other, the better chance we have at not making a mess of this world. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're figuring it out. Um, How would you say all in all, the pandemic has changed theater forever? I'm going to choose to, to um, speak to what I call the aluminum foil linings are not quite silver linings. Okay. Okay. Aluminum foil linings. I think I would like to believe that uh, we have become more aware of our collective, uh, of, of our collective strength and that actually standing sort of shoulder to shoulder, even across um, our geographic uh, distances. Uh, I think we've rediscovered our, our capacity for collective action and collaboration, and that that's going to help us. I think once, we, you know, we're slowly coming out of this, but I think people do just want to like go enjoy concerts and live entertainment. And so it's like, you only, you can only hope. And so I'm putting that energy out there that, you know, the idea of I mean, think about it from your perspective, the first time there's a live audience, everyone's standing shoulder to shoulder, how powerful that will be. Like that first night is going to be so special. 
Um, what would you say is your personal goal for 2021 when it comes to theater? Oh, man. My personal goal is to walk through it with as much integrity as I thought as I, as I wanted to hope for in 2020, you know, I spent 2020 being like, when we come back, we're going to do this and we're not going to do that. And the down with the status quo. And now it's time to put my actions where my mouth is, you know? So my personal goal is to just try to live up to, um, all of the, as many of the highest ideals of this art form as, as I can, and to try not to revert. It's a gravitational pull to the status quo, to what was before, and I'm fighting it. That's awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Oh, thank you. This is delightful. I have to go, I have to come see you in Baltimore, see a show sometime soon, so... September. (laughs) I'll be there in September. I'll be in the front row, standing ovation. (laughs) Um, Have a good weekend and we'll talk to you soon, Kay. Thank you so much, Chelsea. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Big thanks to Stephanie Ubarra for joining me on Innovation on the Edge with Microsoft Edge. We're back next week with another episode exploring more internet innovations, pop culture trends, and how we can create a better future together.